Uh, I do have a couple announcements here to run through. We're having a hog roast for our men's ministry here. That's going to take place at my cousin Mike Trang's house. And um, I can't remember what game we picked out, but it was kind of a fun one. So free food, hog roast, that's going to be October the 9th. And uh, if you're a man and you want free food, you can be there. We'll see you there. So we're going to kick off uh, meeting back up in the mornings after that, doing some uh, Bible study with men. And then um, I have the distinct privilege of uh, telling you that my, my wonderful grandma passed away this last Thursday. So, you know, that's the one I call grandma. And uh, I, I, uh, she had a wonderful life, man. She went home to be with the Lord at 99. So Friday at 11 o'clock, we're having a little service. We'd love to have you here. We're going to have some lunch in the fellowship hall. And uh, on behalf of our family, we just thank you for all your love and support. And uh, I can't wait to do this ceremony. Some ceremony, on behalf of my mom who couldn't make it today, we want to just say thank you for your prayers and thoughts. So, all right, um, I'm in the book of Romans, chapter 1. And uh, we're in a series called The Road Less Traveled. So this has been a lifetime goal for me. Um, The book of Romans is like the paramount doctrinal book in the New Testament. And I think, you know, the eight-week syllabus I provided you with it, if you need a syllabus, I think we can get you one. If you put a hand up, maybe an usher can get you if you don't have one. Um, but if you want one, we got a couple, couple people want one over here. Um, so this, this is like too short of a time to teach through the book of Romans. Um, but if we did a verse-by-verse study in Romans, we would be here to like 2027. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do what I do best. I'm, I think they're over here on this side. If you need a syllabus, put a hand up. I'm trying to do what I do best. I just work my way through the passage, and I try to give you something that you can relate with and something that you can remember because, again, we're, we're dealing with a complex theological work. I think we saw some hands over here as well. Um, I want to read Romans chapter 1. I'm starting in verse 18. I want to read down to verse 21, and then we're going to pray. Romans 18, verse 21. Here is what the Scripture says, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you this morning for the scriptures. I thank you that they have the ability to illuminate and cut to the heart. And I pray, Lord, for uh, revelation to flow in people's hearts and minds. I thank you for truth, the light of God's truth to shine. And Lord, I just thank you for uh, people who are receptive to what God might be speaking to them today. We pray that in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen and amen, amen. you know, I, I get to use my uh, uh, networking ability. God has, God has given me the ability to network with people. And I was in Washington, D.C. this last uh, February, and I connected with the Family Research Council. And so they've asked me to kind of help host a pastor's gathering. So I'm going to be doing this little luncheon. I'm, I'm kind of sponsoring it. We've got Montana Family Foundation. I think we've got about 30, 35 pastors who are coming out to it. And we're just trying to network and, and talk about, you know, where the country is. This is like... Um, a public policy organization. So they deal with the political arena. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to use that ability God has given me to kind of bring it together. And it reminded me uh, about a story um, that happened on Twitter I read about from a representative uh, in South Carolina, a woman representative named Nancy Mace, and she's a Republican. And they asked her to speak at a prayer breakfast. And so 
She's up there. She's getting ready to have the prayer breakfast prayer, and she's talking along, and inadvertently, she made a joke at a prayer breakfast about how she had been sleeping with her boyfriend. Now, somebody laughed, but other people caught it. They thought, hey, I don't know that you should have said that at a prayer breakfast. So, you know, they, they kind of called her out on Twitter, and, you know, she made a joke about it. She said that, uh, you know, she'd go to church twice that Sunday, and everyone laughed. And, you know, it, it, but, see, sin has become such a trivial thing in our nation. Like, like, people laugh at it. We don't make a big deal about it. But I get to be in a section of Scripture this morning that really deals with the subject. And teaching the Bible is a funny thing. Um, I, I kind of think I'm good at it. I like to work my way through it. Some subjects are easier than others. I mean, eschatology is kind of fun. I like to do that occasionally. We get to talk about, you know, the, the Antichrist, and we get to talk about how the world's going to end. And, you know, then you get in doctrinal subjects. Doctrine can be tricky. You got to really know how to, you know, delineate things line upon line, cross your T's, dot your I's. I really like to teach about relationships. That's a fun one, easy to apply to life. But I'm telling you, I am an expert at this topic. It's the subject of sin. And I have extensive experience with it. And you shouldn't be so shocked. You also are an expert on this topic. I remember one time I, I had a friend. He said that one of his best friends would tell him, if you really knew me, you'd slap me. Which I thought was a profound statement. And I've often thought, man, I, I could relate with that because Every now and again, you're going to get in a situation where you're going to have to confront something in your life that is not godly. It's sinful. So I want to talk to you this morning about the problem of sin. It is a problem. Sin is like the proverbial elephant in the room. Uh, that means it affects more than just the Republican Party, if you saw what I did right there with the elephant. <laughs> sin affects everybody, every man, every woman, every child. Sin is a problem. And when you study a book like Romans, when it's so big and so vast, all we can do is kind of work our way through what Paul is trying to do, through, through, through what he's writing. So the first thing I want to highlight is what we call the characteristics of sin. The first point I'm going to make, the characteristics of sin. And the Bible goes into great detail in describing some of these characteristics. Uh, it gives us some of the finer features, about which some of the uh, greater qualities, the grandiose qualities of sin. And, you know, if you think about what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, Jesus himself said that from within, from your heart, uh, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. So that was what Jesus said. Now, we can talk about the way Paul put it. Romans chapter 1, and I'm starting here in verse 29, and he tells us the human condition, first of all, is filled with all unrighteousness. Someone say unrighteousness. That means unjust activities. Unrighteousness is an injustice. Um, these are activities that create problems. Um, it's sort of like, you know, stealing. That's unjust. Lying can create an injustice. There's a whole thing right now on TikTok where young people will sneak up and cold clock somebody, particularly old women, and steal money from them. That's kind of a funny thing right now. That is called injustice. It's unrighteousness. The Bible says that's sin. Here's a nice one for you. Sexual immorality, right here in the book of Romans, chapter 1. And if you had read the previous verses, it would highlight a couple things. It would talk about uncleanness. It would talk about vile passions. And it would talk about the lust of the flesh, lust in your heart. And when he's talking right there about that, you know what he's describing is homosexuality. Homosexuality is sin. 
And we're now in a church culture where it's inc- the, the envelope is increasingly pushed over. In fact, there's a guy in Atlanta with a huge church right now, and he's opened up the doors to have conferences for young families introducing LGBTQ speakers. And I'm telling you that it's like everyone's getting cozier and cozier with sin. And if you read what Romans chapter 1 said, it's pretty remarkable. It tells us in the 21st verse that the reason why sin issues like that begin to spread is because of a lack of thankfulness. You want to know why I've got sexual immoral, immoral problems in America and homosexuality and perversion and, and LGBTQ lifestyles are running rampant in a nation? It's because we've got people who are totally unthankful for what they have. I'd like you to come to me with India. Come, come with me to India, and you'll be very grateful to live in the small little house that you have. Come over and see different places of the world where life is not the way it is here, and you might get a little bit of gratitude. So this, in the eyes of God, is a subject he considers sinful, sexual immorality. I'm just scratching the surface on his details here. This is some characteristics. Here's another characteristic. Wickedness. I'm reading from the book of Romans. That's the word that means, um, it's like wicker. That's the root word for it. It's like, it's like that furniture that's twisted. And when you have a twisted thought, it will produce a twisted outcome, a wrong outcome in life. You know, when your ideas are not right, when they're twisted, that's when things get off. That's wickedness. Uh, here's a one. Covetousness, which is your lack of satisfaction. Now, I've discovered that discontentment in life comes from comparisons. When you're busy comparing your life to what someone else has, it can create that sense of discontentment. And what that is, is covetousness, where you, know, you, you want what someone else has. And the Bible says that is a sinful attitude. Here's one for you, malaciousness. That word means uh, wicked intentions. It's where you get the idea of a premeditated thought, like a premeditated murder. Like you thought it through before you acted upon it. You shouldn't, you know, be surprised at that. Everyone's done something like that. Something that was wrong in their mind, they thought through, and then they played on the action. Look at this one. It says, full of, mur- full of envy and murder. And there's an interesting Greek construct in the words right here. Because in the Greek language, the words rhyme. And, and the idea here is that both acts, envy and murder, are things that consume a person. When you get caught up with envy because you're jealous of something... And murder is hatred in a heart. Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. It's a consuming thing in a person. Here's another characteristic of sin. I'm just covering some of these finer qualities of sin for you. Strife. That's contention. Have you ever had a job you worked at where there was strife? You know how fun that is to be in a job environment where no one gets along? And there's bickering and there's fighting and there's no unity. And and the Bible says that's a work of the flesh and it calls it sinful. It's exhausting to have situations like that. Here's one. Deceit. This would be dishonesty and lies. And some people just find it so easy to lie. Have you met people like that? I'm amazed by people who find it easy to lie. And yet the Bible says in the book of Revelation 21 that all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Apparently in God's eyes, lying is a big deal. That's called sin. Here's another characteristic for you. Evil-mindedness. And the, the root word here is something that's rooted in customs. It means that your practices are wrong. The things that you're doing in a culture, in a society are wrong. In the Canaanite world, they would offer up their babies to their, their god Moloch, and then they would give children over and, and burn them in the fire. And now we have people who are totally comfortable with abortion. In fact, in some states, they're going to push the envelope. They're trying 
to make it so that you can let a child die up to the age of two if you're not satisfied with it. That, that, don't let, oh, yeah, I'm telling you. That this is rooted in the, the wickedness of humanity. It's sinful. There's an evil-minded, wicked practices in a culture. It says they're whispers who gossip, and verse 30 says they're backbiters who slander. This is where people, you know, might talk about you behind your back. And I've met people like that. It's an unflattering characteristic in somebody. Uh, the Bible calls it bearing a false witness. It's no fun to have friends like that. It says they're haters of God. Man, you think about society right now, like on college campuses, where you might have people who are so angry and will shout you down, they don't want to have any kind of free speech. And, and, and so there's this vitriol pointed towards God. It says violent, proud, boasters. That, that's a humiliating and arrogant, uh, unconscionable arrogance that exists in people. Three times in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that they would not repent of their sin and God had to bring his judgment to them. It's like we have a humanity that is angry and will shake its fist at God. And then it says that they're inventors of evil things. You know how easy it is to come up with new ways for people to sin? I think about Super Bowl halftime shows. Remember the wardrobe malfunction? And that, so that was a creative way of just kind of exposing lewdness on the public airways. And it's like, man, human, human sin has this idea of just kind of new ways of doing it. Disobedient to parents. Where are my children at? Sometimes they're here. I wish they're... I got nephews over there. We'll talk about nephews and nieces, all right? <laughs> this is why I believe the Bible is a real book. You know why? Because the human condition is real. And I know that three-year-olds are wonderful, but sin is manifested in the words, mine, all right? I've seen it happen right in front of my eyes. Anyone have children? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It says uh, another, here's a beautiful characteristic. They're undiscerning, verse 31. That means uh, self-deceived. I don't know that there is a slipperier slope of sin than self-deception. Because, you know, the problem with being deceived is that you are deceived. And you don't even know it. And, and this is where people live at. In life, these are the finer features of sin. Untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. I mean, Paul's just putting the nail in the coffin describing these things. And what he's saying here is that everything that God is, fallen humanity is not. God is faithful and trustworthy. God is loving. God is forgiving. God is merciful. We said that last week. He loves you with an everlasting love. And there's something about humanity that is a rebel at heart and opposite of who God is. That's the nature of sin, these characteristics. And by the way, verse 32 says that they, they know the righteous judgment of God and that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Because that, that's what's coming. I'll get to that in a moment. But it says, listen, look at this. They not only do the same, but they approve of those who practice them. Because, you know, misery loves company. And I have found that sin is so much easier if I've got uh, the right friends to do it with. You know what I'm saying? I mean... Some of my best friends were people who were really good at sinning. And I like what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, Evil company will corrupt good habits. So you get around the wrong crowd of people. It becomes a lot more enjoyable, a lot more enticing, and a whole lot easier to sin. And I'm just giving you what the scriptures say about sin. And, you know, you can just see these fine qualities of sin, which seem so justifiable at the time in your mind. And this is what Paul is saying. This is the place that humanity finds itself. It is a problem. Now, let me give you another problem. In Romans chapter 2, and we're going to go to verse 3. Here's what he said. He said, do you think this, O man? 
I like, I like what he says. He's being very accusatory. You who practice such things, and the hypocrite that you are does the same things. He said, do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? Let me give you another thought here. Here's the second problem. It's called the consequences of sin. Sin has some consequences that come with it. Uh, unintended consequences. Your sin is going to find you out. That's called the consequence. Sin always has this very unique way of being found out. And if it's not found out in this life, it will be found out in the life that is to come. There's a great verse in 1 Timothy chapter 5, that the sins of some men are evident preceding them to judgment. That means they happen in this life. But the sins of others follow afterward. There might be sins that are hidden, done away with, but one day they will be exposed. There will be consequences of sin. The first consequence of sin we read right here is that there is a judgment to come. One day, you will stand before God and you will give an account of your life and the things you have done in the body, the Bible says, whether good or bad. And I like how the writer of Hebrews said it in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I'm telling you, he who's got fire in his eyes know how to look right down and pierce your soul and, and highlight things that you might be very guilty of and ashamed to stand before him one day. That's why the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, if that wasn't fearful enough, I want to skip down to verse 8. And, and it says this. He said that those who are self-seeking, all right, that's, that's another characteristic of sin. is very selfish. It seems like it's always taking from people. And he said those that do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, that's another characteristic of sin. It's rebellious. It does its own self-will thing. He gives us another consequence. Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Two interesting phrases right here. I studied these out. And he, he first of all mentions indignation and wrath, and then tribulation and anguish. So th those are two, two phrases. Tribulation and anguish, and uh, indignation and wrath. No, indignation and wrath is basically telling you that God's anger will begin to intensify when he's upset about something. Uh, he, he gets angry, and that anger starts dwelling up, indignation and wrath. So at first, God will warn you. He will say, don't do this. He, he'll nudge your conscience. I'm here to tell you, you should listen to your conscience. It could save you so much trouble in life. Amen. And if that doesn't work, if you won't listen, then God will send a circumstance to take place. And the circumstance might be painful, but it's God's grace. It's His graciousness. It's His mercy. I think about Jonah when he left Nineveh and God said, go, or he didn't want to go preach in Nineveh. He ended up, remember that, on a deep sea fishing cruise <laughs> and ended up in the belly of a whale. And, and, and that was a consequence, but it was God's grace. If that's not listened to, more severe consequences come in life. And, and then if you refuse to heed that, let me tell you what happens. This is what I've learned God will not say anything to you. He won't speak. He'll be silent in the situation. That's when he's the angriest. That's when you get in trouble. He'll do nothing. That's what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. There was no warning. Everything just blew up at one moment. And it's, it's really a manifestation of uh, this phrase right here, indignation and wrath. It's, it's, it's that consequence of sin. You understand God is holy. He does not like to tolerate sin. Here's another one. Uh, tribulation and anguish. Interesting word here. 
it means a narrow place. It's like a place that you get stuck in that you can't get out of. That's what sin will do. It'll put you in a spot that will bring great pain into your life. No way out. Uh, a, a very small way out. You know, the, the, the prophet Hosea, Hosea chapter 2, verse 6, he, he said that God will put you in a place where he heads your way in with thorns. It's sort of like the after effects of an affair. It's like when you lose a home gambling or you lost your license because you got a DUI. You're, you're in a restricted spot. And if you ever find yourself in that place, which I have found myself there, I found myself in places that were very hard to get. There's only one way to do it. There's only one way, one play you can make, and that is for you to tell the truth, to be honest. It's not going to be comfortable, but it could save your soul. It's the place you find yourself. Sin has consequences to it. it, it it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a brooding sense of uh, an anger and a frustration that will birth it. It's a consequence of of your decisions. And some consequences are graver than others. I mean, I'm telling you, it would be better for you to be honest than for you to go to hell. Now I get to talk about number three. And I hate to do it like this because, listen, Romans chapter two, verse four, we could talk about how the goodness of God leads you to repentance. I mean, his goodness will do things in your life. We could talk about Romans two, verse seven. I mean, I skipped over some of these verses. If you just continue patiently in your life and you're faithful to God, it's going to pay off with eternal rewards. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 15 is a great verse about how when you stand before God, he's, you're going to give an account, and, and he is going to judge you based upon the conscience that you had and how you lived your life. I mean, there, there's some incredible nuggets in here, but I'm just trying to present this in a way in which you understand the nature of sin. It is a problem. Uh, it's got characteristics that are not flattering. Uh, there's consequences that come with foolish behavior. Now let me get to the, to the meat of it. Chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, in verse number nine, he, he's like, what shall we say then? Are we, he's, he's talking to like, you know, the Jewish people, he's talking to Christians, are we better than other people? And he said, no, not at all. Because he said, I previously told you in the, in the verse that we read, Romans 2 and uh, verse nine, that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Someone say all. Now we get to deal with the comprehensive nature of sin. Sin affects everybody. Jews and Greeks, every man, every woman, every child, everybody who's ever lived has to deal with this issue. And what Paul does here uh, to make his point is he's going to go to other scripture. I like to make a statement or a point, and then as I teach the scripture, I like to back it up with other scriptures. So I'm proving the point. And so Paul is going to quote several places in the book of Psalms. In which he says this, look at verse 10. He said, just as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. That's you and me included, all right? That before you found the Lord, you are all in the same boat. He's just building this case. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. That, that's what sinners are. They're, they're not profitable. There's none who does good, not one of us. The throat's an open tomb. With tongues they practice deceit. The poison of apps is under their lips. Their mouth is filled with cursing and bitterness. I mean, he's describing the human condition and the things that we say. He said their feet is swift to shed blood. They have no problem murdering people. Destruction and miseries in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. And ultimately, he said, uh, there's no fear of God in their eyes. He's just describing the state that humanity falls, it finds itself in had it not been. For the precious blood of Jesus. 
Now, that's an extensive list, and he does a good job sight sourcing. Uh, he quotes the Old Testament. Look at verse 19. He said, now we know whatever the law says. It says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that the whole world may become guilty before God. Let me tell you about sin. It affects everyone. You're born into it. Sort of like someone who's born into slavery. It's all you've ever known. And the only way to escape that is through divine intervention in a person. And the sin is one of those things because it affects us all. It festers within a person. And the interesting thing about it, I like how the writer James said, James chapter 1. He said, sin, uh, when it's conceived, begins to grow. It festers. Uh, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when full grown, brings forth death. That, that's the consequence of sin. It, it's going to grow in your life if you don't deal with it. it it's like uh, the story I heard of a little boy. I, I've got little children, and I'll tell them, don't do that. But do they listen to me? No. You know why? Because they have to figure some things out themselves. So this little boy I read about, he was um, sliding across the floor of his house in his socks on a wooden floor. And his parents said, don't do that. You're going to get a sliver. But when they were away, he put on some socks and began ice skating across the floor until he ran over into the corner by the closet and got himself a nice sliver. You know what happened? He started hobbling around for one day, two days. And by the third day, when he could barely put his shoe on and couldn't walk very much, his parents came over to figure out what was the problem, took off his socks, and found there was a sliver in his foot. By that time, it had come infected. It was pussy. It was a mess. That is a picture of sin. It gets stuck in you. It starts festering. And it affects people. And, you know, the thing about sin, it's just got this natural hold in a person. It's part of the nature. And that kind of means it's like legally binding. It has a legal influence to operate in your life. And, you know, the only way out, the, the only, this is the gospel in a nutshell here. Listen, I've just been teaching you what the scripture says. And next week, we're going to talk about the provision. Today's the problem. Next week's the provision of righteousness, how God made a way for you. The thing about, you know, sin is, is that we are all guilty in the eyes of God. And I, I love, you know, how this plays out in a legal courtroom setting. My dad was a lawyer, you know. Uh, Jesus made these statements. He said, um, you know, if, uh, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. He said, if you take God's name in vain, it's sin. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't covet things. And so if you're honest with yourself, one day you're going to have to give an account to God. You're going to have to say that you're guilty or not guilty of the accusations placed against you. And if you're an honest person, you have to say, I'm guilty of those things. And there's a price to pay because God is holy. His holiness demands a verdict. He cannot tolerate sin. So you are guilty and you are condemned to a place of death and separation from him. But I do have good news for you. Uh, in heaven, apparently, there's like a, a court system. And uh, Jesus is what's called the advocate. He's a lawyer. He, he's a defense attorney. And the court has appointed him on your behalf. And he's going to make a deal with the judge. He's going to say, you know what, Your Honor? This man is guilty. He was born in this condition. There's no way out. But I have paid the price to stand in your way. And outside of that, there's no other way to deal with this problem of sin. It's comprehensive to everybody. One way out, Jesus. He stepped in and he took your place. I paid the price for you 
at the cross. That's the message of the cross. You can't get out of the nature of sin without Jesus' help. Now, how are you going to deal with sin? How are you going to deal with it? My experience with sin, which is extensive, is that it has to be exposed. It has to be brought into the light. Sin has to be dealt with. I like what the book of James says. Confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. Man, this happened to me so vividly uh, when I was uh, a teenager. My parents, I don't know what they were thinking, they left me home when I was 16, and I threw the biggest party you could imagine. I was picking up beer bottle caps for weeks after that, hoping they didn't find it. <laughs> and uh, I remember when I rededicated my life to the Lord, God began to really convict my heart about some things I had done when mom and dad were away. I'd gotten away with it. Oh, man. It was bothering me. It was eating me up. I mean, it took a dream for God to say, tell your parents what happened. And I didn't want to do it. You know what I'm saying? Did not want to do that. So I sat down with them. I said, Mom and Dad, when you were away, this happened. My dad took it in good stride. My mom was like, my baby. You know, <laughs> how could you do that? <laughs> but I'm telling you, the relief that I found when I just let that out, oh, man, it brought me such deliverance in my life. See, you have to acknowledge sin. It's not a trivial thing. It's not something that you should joke about on Twitter. It has to be dealt with. It's not coy and off to the side. And you know, the, 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 what I find the hardest people to deal with are people who will not acknowledge it. People who can't see it. People who want to just look away because they get caught up in their own self-deceptions. I, I, I'm telling you, if you are living in sin, in a state of sin, and you know things are taking place in your life. You're caught up in, in you know, some kind of adultery. You're caught up in, in, in wicked behavior. You know, you, you, you're doing th- lying all the time and, 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 and wickedness like we described in some of these categories. I wouldn't give half a hallelujah for your hope of making it happen. I'm just telling you. Well, you know what the problem we have in American church today? Ain't nobody want to talk about sin. They don't want to address it. One of my favorite preachers, he, he, he was at a venue, and, and he's got quite an extraordinary gift. And they said, man, you know, you, you can talk about this, and you can prophesy to people, and, and, and you can use that gift naturally and do what you want, but don't ever say the word sin. You can call it issues. You can call it problems. But we don't want people to feel convicted. That's what he said. I, I'm just telling you, you can't understand the Scripture. You can't understand the plan of salvation without dealing with with the subject of sin. It is part of the gospel. And I'm telling you, in the eyes of God, it matters so much. So I want you to stand up with me this morning. And, um, you know, I just was thinking about some of these finer qualities of sin. Uh, Whether or not the characteristics are alive and well in your heart. Is sin rearing its ugly head in your life? Is it something that, you know, you, you, you can look at? Maybe it's manifested in your treatment of other people. Man, I have seen this recently in my own life. I think about my sweet wife, man. And I haven't always honored her. Uh, sometimes I've taken her for granted. You know, I read through that list right there uh, of things that I've done, things that I've said. Um, maybe you're facing a consequence. And uh, it might be the hardest thing for you to do. Maybe you're in a bad spot, a restricted place. Maybe something's working in your life, and, and uh, 
I'm telling you, consequences are God's mercy. You know that? God's mercy is a consequence in your life. It is worth experiencing his mercy and grace to get free of something. I found that when I have consequences, it's better to just surrender to it, submit to it, let it play out, don't fight it. It's, it's like when you get caught in a current. You know, my dad told me one time in California, he got caught in a riptide. You ever heard of riptide? A riptide is like uh, a wave that will catch you. And, and the thing that gets people in trouble is they fight it. They fight and wriggle and struggle. And that's what ends up wearing them out and drowning them. So he knew when he was caught in a riptide going over and over and salt in his mouth from that seawater, he, he, he just went with it and it popped him up down the beach. That, that's how I try to handle consequences sometimes. I don't, I don't need to hide them. I don't, I don't want to fight them. I let them work out in my life. That's God's mercy. Yeah. Or maybe you recognize your own guilt. Because uh, all it takes is a little light. All it takes is a little self-reflection. All it takes is a little honesty in your life to deal with issues that are taking place. The issue of sin. Now, if you struggle with sin, if it's something little, something small, maybe it's something larger than that. I'll tell you what I'd like to do this morning. I'd just like to have you come down here to the altar. And I, I, uh, this is not to castigate anybody. This is not to embarrass you. I should be the first one at this altar. I just feel like if there's something in your life that maybe it's bothering you, it would be a good time to come before the Lord naked, not ashamed, and just say, Lord, help me deal with this issue. It may be a personal thing, a private matter. Maybe it's something in your heart. Maybe it's something you got to confess, something you got to deal with. And we're here to do that if you want prayer. But I, I wanted to just invite you this morning as, as we close out. Listen, I love you. I've preached the gospel to you. Jesus is the only escape you have from the condition you found yourself in. And if not for his mercy and the blood on the cross, we are all set for a hopeless condition. And I am so grateful that the book of Romans didn't end here. I'm grateful that it continued in the next week and the following. For the music, God works in your life. But I'm telling you, I feel a conviction in my own life. So I, I just, I, I like where the music's at. I want to just keep playing this. If, if there's something in your heart, maybe it's something in your mind, come down and pray with us at the altar. Come down here. Be with the Lord. Let him deal with you. Let him work in your life. Do a little heart surgery. Maybe some things that need to be taken care of. That's what altars are for. This is not to shame anybody. Listen, I, 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 if I was, if, if I wasn't preaching, I'd come down here. I, I just feel like, you know, the Lord's been working things in my life. Uh, I'll let him do that. I'll let him work that. So I want to do that. I want to take a few moments here. If you want to come down and pray with me, join me at this altar. We can pray. God will do great works in your heart, man. He'll, he will set you free, man. He will deliver you. There's nothing like calling upon the name of the Lord, is there? So let's just take a moment. If you got to go, if you got to get your kids I love you, a couple you haven't seen for a while, and I miss you, and I love you, but I want to just spend some time down here at the altar. Can we do that? That's how I'm going to close out today. Come down here. I want to pray with you. I want to just take some time. You, you'll get any more spiritual than just saying, Lord, work in my heart. Be with me. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. So, Father, we're just coming before you. Ooh, I feel the Spirit of the Lord. Ooh, I feel, you know, God, it's His goodness that calls us to repentance. cleansing virtue of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for your cleansings. Thank you for your... I pray for our hearts and minds to be open this morning. Mm. Lord, we just want to receive freely from you. We want to receive your forgiveness and your mercy. Mm. I pray for a spirit of repentance to come into our lives. I pray, repentance, that you turn 
a path in our life. You turn us. You turn us. You turn us. Father, we want to give ourselves over that way. We want to trust you. Put our hands completely in your life. Mm. Oh, Lord. Mm. Mm. I have to feel his presence. You cannot be in the presence of God and be okay with sin. You know that? You're deceived if you think that. His presence is so sweet, so good. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for cleansing us. Mm. Mm. Man, I just feel like there is a spirit of conviction in this house. I'm telling you, man, don't fight that. Just let the Lord highlight something in your mind. Just say, Lord, I can do better at that. I need your help. I need your grace. Mm. God's mercy is new every morning. You know that? The reason you're here today. His mercy is new. His mercy is fresh. Cleansing of a conscience. The goodness of God in the land of the living. I feel it. Stirring in me. Mm. Oh, Lord, I thank you. Mm, I thank you for the peace of God. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Mm. Jesus, Jesus, I thank you. You know, I feel his presence. You feel the presence of the Lord here? I want to encourage you with a verse uh, from the book of Romans again. And and I'm in this same chapter. chapter. Despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his patience with you. Not knowing that the goodness of God is what leads you to repentance. What a beautiful thought. God loves you so, so much. That his goodness is literally the thing that will stop you and help you and convict you. Man, how good is he? How merciful is he? You, you, sometimes we just don't even appreciate that, do we? His goodness, his mercy. So Lord, I receive it. I thank you. I'm blessed by that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Hey, I feel like next week, preaching on righteousness is going to be extremely powerful in your life, man. Because it's, it's one thing to acknowledge sin. It's a whole other thing when you understand God has delivered you from it. And he will bring you into a place where you have a cleansed conscience. And I'm telling you, it's the most remarkable thing to have that relationship with God. So we love you very much. If you want to pray, the altars are open. Uh, my mom did make it in the back of the service. She snuck in late. So Uh, if you want to come out to grandma's funeral I know we'd love to have you and mom could use help with things if you wanted to talk to her so we love you all very much we'll catch you all next Sunday God bless you God bless you God bless you love you all
guaranteed you'll never be the same. There's a fountain flowing from the heart of the Savior. Bring your sins and all your guilty stains. Let that river of life wash it away. Zoo. <laughs> and even at the San Diego Zoo, you wouldn't do this. No. Did, did Lenny Renfall do this? I 